worshipping strictly through technology brings a unique set of challenges to the Jewish community, as Saturday, or Shabbat, is regarded as a day of rest, which for many includes limiting the use of technology. This week, Rabbi Tamar Molino talks with us about how her congregations are adapting to this new norm. Welcome to Faves Forward, a new podcast about how faith communities are staying connected during this coronavirus pandemic. I'm Tracy Simmons. Tamar Molino. I am the rabbi of Temple Beth Shalom and Congregation Emmanuel, two different synagogues in Spokane. So like all other faith communities in Spokane right now, you have shifted your services to the web. Uh, So what is that looking like for you guys? So we're doing a variety of different offerings. There is an issue in Jewish tradition about how much technology you can use on Shabbat on the Sabbath. So that has affected what we're able to do and what works best for our communities. And there's also a distinction there between the Reformed Congregation, Congregation Emmanuel, and the Conservative Congregation Temple Beth Shalom, that they have different degrees of um, how much they follow traditional law around the questions of technology. So we are in in accordance with all of that we are offering a live streamed service on saturday morning that's a conservative service so it's it's me alone in our sanctuary um, singing and speaking to an empty room but hoping that there are lots of people at home watching um and that's our saturday morning our regular saturday morning worship service and then on friday evenings congregation emmanuel or form congregation we've been having a, a zoom service not every Friday. And we are just about this Friday to start a conservative, um, so a Temple Beth Shalom service that's over Zoom, but it's not a full service. It's actually before the Sabbath starts, but it's an opportunity for people to to welcome Shabbat together and to see one another. And then we also have a service on Wednesday afternoons. It's our regular weekday service. That is our Hebrew school students and, and families, but also open, always open to the congregation, but in particular, this way um, because there are certain prayers that can only be said in community with a prayer quorum. One of them is the the prayer um, in memory of loved ones. So because we can't do that on Saturday morning with the live stream because it's just me in the sanctuary, we want to make sure that there are other worship opportunities for people to gather and and remember people that they love and, and see one another's faces and hear one another's voices and and have an opportunity to connect. Okay, that's so fascinating. So. Uh, on Saturday morning, you're streaming live to Facebook. Um, right, we use StreamSpot, but yeah. Okay, but they're, um, I'm just trying to make sure I understand, but that's like as, as simple as can be, right? So that way people aren't are having to log on and, and use a lot of technology. Exactly. So the way that that's set up is that you could, if you wanted to, log on before Shabbat starts and just leave your computer on, which you're allowed to do. And it, it's an issue of how much you interact with the technology. So it's just broadcasting all the time. And we turn it on also in the synagogue early. And then I just show up and do my thing in the sanctuary and people show up in their room where their computer is and you know participate in services to the de- degree that they're able to at home. And that's what we do for the Sabbath. So it's less, but then when we, when it's either before Shabbat or on Wednesdays, 
then we have the more interactive where we can see each other and hear each other. And there's actually been a, a kind of, a, the conservative movement makes requirements nationally or expectations nationally for how um, synagogues follow the dictates of Jewish law. So they've come down and said, you actually can constitute um, a minion or a prayer quorum over Zoom, which was not the case before. Uh, and they've made that allowance essentially so that we can do those things, but they require us to hear each other and see each other. So we can say those, those memorial prayers and then other parts of the service that are specifically the holiest parts of the service that you can only do in community. And can you speak a little bit about the importance of your congregation being, being able to see each other right now and connect in that way? There's no question that we're all feeling a little bit isolated. And so any means that we can offer to connect to one another, I think is as valuable, is incredibly valuable. So we just try to do that as often as we can. Um, and whether that's a, a class or a service or a meeting, <laughs> there's always more chatting before and after meetings than there might otherwise be. And it's, it's sort of lovely to see the delight on people's faces when they see people they haven't seen for a long time. You know, often those kinds of interactions happen in the back of the social hall and I don't get to witness it. So that's a plus. Now I get to witness people's pleasure in each other's company, um, even, in a, even for something as, as mundane as an organizational meeting. It's very important for all of us to be connected to people that we care about, but especially to feel like there's the synagogue is still there for you. And, and we're really trying to do that. Absolutely. And is Congregation Emmanuel doing similar? Or are they part of the services with Emmanuel right now? There's, we've always had some services that everybody does together. So we're sort of just promoting everything that way. And then people make a choice as to how traditionally observant they are and what they want to participate in. Um, so we've had some Temple Beshalom people coming to the Friday night Congregation Emmanuel services. And I know that we have some Congregation Emmanuel folks following along with the Temple Beshalom services on Saturday mornings. Um, and we, we just do the best we can to reach out to as many folks as we can. So that's, that's the way that it's been operating through okay. until now. Okay. So they have some, some options. Yeah. Yeah. And now, are there also some rules about technology in the sacred space that you typically have to abide by? Um, it's that same question. It's not really related to the sacred space as much. It's related to the sacred time. Okay. So it really is the same question about what technology we can use on Shabbat as much as anything. I mean, I always, you know, as a rabbi, at a wedding or at a service and like don't use flash photography right in the face of the bride and groom you know there's always that kind of that that question about how much technology you can use in a sacred space in that regard but obviously that's not the question of the moment it's more really about uh about observing the sabbath and still being able to communicate with each other from afar okay that makes that makes sense and has safety been an issue for you guys the zoom bombs or or any of that or what types of precautions are you taking? We have, I think, done the basics of making sure that we have waiting rooms. We don't, we are posting links to our services and our classes on the website and people can join them. We've assumed that it's not really going to be that much of an issue, but we do have the waiting room feature for that reason. Uh, it, the waiting room feature enabled most of the time for that reason. We thankfully haven't had any Zoom bombing. I definitely have colleagues in other places in the country who've had horror stories. So we want to be careful. And I tend to think that Temple Beth Shalom is off of the radar and Congregation Emmanuel are off of the radar of the national scene, but you never know. 
Yeah. Know that all of our physical boundaries have collapsed in a certain way, we might just as well be a target as much as anybody else. And I don't know, you know, we're just as careful as we can be. Absolutely. Faves got Zoom bombed uh, at our, one of our coffee talks. Oh, uh, really? Long ago. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what, ha- was, what happened? Um, just some people, I, I'm guessing some high school guys or something in, in gas masks, which is kind of creepy jumped on the line and just had lots of vulgar things to say. So, so yeah. similar to what you guys are doing, we've, we've enacted the waiting rooms and tried to step up that security a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned the classes, Wednesday night classes. Are you doing other classes as well? We have, we've kept our regular religious education programs going to the best we can, which is a Sunday morning religious education program for kids and a Wednesday afternoon religious education program for kids. It's Hebrew school and Sunday school. So we have both of those going. The duration's a little shorter because kids' attention span over screen is less. Um, So, but we have kept those education programs going and I've actually added a little bit to our adult education offerings as well because, um, hopefully people have more time. And if they have more time, why not have more time to study Torah and to study Judaism? So trying to add a little bit more into the calendar too. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's not just you, right? You have some, some help there with these classes. <laughs> I don't teach all the kids. No, the kids' classes are divided by ages and grades. And I, I do teach. I teach the seventh graders, um, the seventh grade Hebrew school, and I teach the uh, high school students that meet on, on Thursday nights. But I don't, I don't teach the younger grades so much. But I, and I teach the adult classes. So you're staying pretty busy because you're teaching at home too. Yes. (laughs) It's a lot of teaching, but it's good. Yeah, that's good. Now, um, when the pandemic started to ramp up, you had to cancel Yom HaShoah. Yes. Yes. So normally that's kind of, you have a contest for the youth, an art contest, and then a big, a big gathering, sacred gathering. And so what was it like to have to cancel that? upsetting like canceling everything else i think before we even got to yom hashoah that we had to cancel passover community observances which was i think even more um you know for those of us who were practicing judaism traditionally was even more impactful in some ways um but it it was hard that they still maintained the contest both the art contest and the essay contest so there was that still happened which was wonderful and we publicized as widely as possible i should say we our Yom HaShoah committee, I was, I'm less involved in that on a regular basis, publicized as widely as possible the winners and their names and their, their both their art and their writing, which is always really magnificent to see. Um, but it's hard that we weren't able to gather as a community. And that's also one of the times, you know, very treasured times when we have Jewish community and lots of non-Jewish community in our building. And so that's, that's hard to have that loss. And I believe... I'm probably going to say it wrong. Shavuot? Shavuot. 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 Okay. Yeah. That's that's coming up next. Yes, it is. So Shavuot is coming up in about two weeks. And I was just uh, meeting with my education director to plan some of the details of what we're going to do. So Shavuot is a time when we do a lot of Torah study. It's actually traditional to stay up all night studying Torah. Um, so we don't do that in our community. We don't have lots of night owls in our community. <laughs> but um, but we do try to offer a kind of a series of classes through the evening. So we're working on that. And one of the advantages of this situation and circumstance is that, as I said, our physical boundaries have collapsed, which means people are more likely to take advantage of national offerings. And both the reform movement and the conservative movement have put together a series of classes uh, that they're offering. And, you know, why not hear 
the, some of the top lecturers around the country if you can. Uh, and that's a nice opportunity to offer. And of course, there's something lost in that too, that you don't have the same kind of community connection that you would have with everybody in a room together. But there's a little bit to be gained by that too. So we're working on kind of doing a combination of content from elsewhere and then teaching that I would offer. Yeah, there's some opportunities that, that yeah. come with all this, definitely. Yeah. So you also house Jewish area family services um, in your building. And that is that still up and running and staying active in this time? Absolutely. Um, I think there's more need than ever in many ways. And um, we actually have formed a community response task force. So we have representatives essentially from Congregation Emanuel, from Temple Shalom, and from Spokane Area Jewish Family Services, all working together to ensure that the needs of our community members are met, and also to make sure that we're publicizing other op opportunities to volunteer around the city within our congregations and our community. So it's both at the same time and what we've done is essentially call everybody in the congregation, in both congregations and everyone on the distribution list of Jewish Family Services, um, probably three times, we've probably gone through the cycle two or three times uh, at this point with different volunteers making phone calls and the boards of both congregations making phone calls and just making sure that everyone's okay and that everybody feels like they have somebody to call and someone they're connected to and that they feel connected to the community and cared for. So we're ongoingly doing that and um, we report out to each other as to what's going on in our last conversation. Uh, the director of Jewish Family Services, Neil Schindler, talked about the fact that there was significant demand on the food bank, which is not a surprise. We have a small food bank and also significant donations, which is really uh, wonderful to hear. So we're trying to take care of each other. That's good. Yeah, I think people really want to find ways they can help if they're able to in this time. Yeah. You mentioned um, a second ago, you know, you don't want flash photography at a, at a wedding and stuff. And it just made me think, have you done any virtual weddings or, or anything like that in this time? I, it's sort of funny. We have done, I think I've hit the whole life cycle minus a wedding. Okay. <laughs> so I've actually officiated at a Breed Me Last ceremony, which is a circumcision ceremony for a baby boy over Zoom. I have officiated at a bat mitzvah. We've done a bat mitzvah over Zoom, which was not easy um, and, and not ideal, frankly. None of it's ideal, but, uh, but still a, a happy occasion nonetheless for the family. And um, I've officiated a couple of funerals, which has been very difficult to not be able to be in physical proximity of the families and, and try to navigate that. Although those have been graveside. So we've sort of, we've worked with navigating what Governor Isbley's um, dictates have been as to what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do around funerals and preparation of the body for burial. And there are a lot of components that had to be changed uh, given the circumstances. And, and that's hard for people. They're very attached to the rituals uh, around death and mourning. Of course. So that's been a challenge. Um, and I actually had a meeting with a couple not that long ago who are preparing for a wedding and interested in conversion. So I actually got the whole gamut of life cycle events over, uh, over Zoom, which is sort of ironic. I haven't actually officiated at a Zoom wedding. I hope, you know, a, a blessing of a wedding that's different from a bar mitzvah and different from a funeral and different from a birth is that it can be postponed and rescheduled. And actually, we have also rescheduled a number of, uh, of bar and bar mitzvah ceremonies, too, because most people want their family to, from afar to be able to come to Spokane and gather and the community to celebrate with them in person. So we've been able to postpone those. Well, what was it like to do that virtually? Were you offering uh, a blessing via Zoom? Is that 
what will happen? For, for which, which for, the, for the bar and bat mitzvah. Oh, well, so for a bar and bat mitzvah, the student, um, the 13 year old leads the whole worship service. So we actually had a whole worship service over Zoom and the bat mitzvah led the service the best she could. She was the one alone in the sanctuary. I was in my office, but on over Zoom and various other people from the community who would have participated in the service were also over Zoom. And we used the webinar format. So we had a certain number of people visible on the screen and then lots of other people who were watching but not visible. Um, and we did everything that we could possibly do uh, over Zoom. So the same kind of sermon, the same kind of blessing, her doing the same kinds of things. Ritually, we had to modify. We did it on a Thursday morning so we could use the interactive technology and there are certain ritual aspects that we had to modify for sure. But uh, she did a wonderful job under the circumstances and really carried herself admirably. The hardest part of these worship services that we do is that we can't sing together. Zoom and technology limits that. And every, I imagine this is true with so many religious traditions, but our services are pretty much sung from start to finish. And if you can't do it together, it's really hard. And especially for a bar and bat mitzvah kid, I'm used to leading alone a fair amount, even though I miss leading with other people. But for a kid to have to only hear their own voice for a two and a half hour service is really a challenge. And she she rose to the occasion. So um, it was tough, but also wonderful. Yeah, I, I bet it is hard to do the singing without the community because you're kind of just <laughs> looking back at yourself on the screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And that's, I mean, that's the experience that I have when I'm leading Saturday morning services and I try to imagine the folks sitting in their seats and everybody's various responses to the sermon that I'm giving, which is hard to do, <laughs> but I did try to do that. Um, but I think harder than that almost is just being, not being able to, to join together and, and very much the power of Jewish communal prayer is all the voices coming together. Right. So that's a loss. Hmm. I kind of imagine people almost doing it in their homes together throughout Spokane though, you know? Yes, yes. And they do, and we, I see them. I see their faces singing on the screen even while they're muted, which is good, because if you don't mute, then it sounds like total cacophony. And there are certain prayers that we have to unmute for because those are the prayers that you have to have the quorum for. So we do unmute and it sounds really weird and then we mute again and just do what you can. And then um, for the funeral, was there a Zoom element to the funeral where you were graveside and then kind of had the family there virtually? We did. So the governor's dictate is that you could have 10 people. So we had a graveside service. In one case, we had a graveside service with 10 people there outside of their cars and some people at the cemetery, but who stayed in their cars. And I tried to maintain, we all tried to maintain just, I mean, the family was close to one another because they could. And I tried to maintain some physical distance from the family, which was a challenge, but important. And that's what we did in that particular instance. And then we tried, we actually attempted to then essentially live stream or zoom the service for people who couldn't come and actually the technology fell through and they could see but not hear anything which was really upsetting so I had lots of folks in the congregation email me and ask for the eulogy afterwards and we did as much of it we did a simplified version but that was hard because that's 
another bit that I've experienced very much is that we're all kind of captive to does the internet work today or not? You know, are we freezing in the middle of an important moment in ritual or aren't we? And we don't have any control over that. So we're, we're all kind of captive to the technology and whether it's functioning correctly or not really yeah. affects people's experience of the moment. And that's hard. Yeah. And I think you just said an important word, which is control. And <laughs> that's something we're all this, nothing feels like it's in our control right now. Right. So um, how are you kind of navigating that and, and talking to your, your congregation about, about that and how to handle that right now? Yeah, I think everybody's struggling with that in a different way individually. I think as we were talking a few minutes ago, you know, for some people who are introverted, this is a, a gift for them in the way that they now can conduct their life differently from the way that they had been obligated to do so before. And so I'm always a little bit pleasantly surprised to hear people say, you know, I'm, I'm really doing fine. My life's fine. So I do hear that from some folks. Um, but I do think even in those cases, there's definitely this underlying current of, of anxiety and fear. And we just are all in a situation to do the best we can to, to stand through it. And I should say we're fortunate in some ways just because Spokane hasn't been hit that hard yet. Um, and yet maybe is the operative word, I don't know, but we haven't, at, at the beginning of the of the outbreak, I really thought I'm gonna be doing a lot of funerals and thank God I haven't had that yet. Um, and I'm very grateful for it. And so I think as always the counter response to I'm afraid and this is all out of my control is what am I grateful for today and in this moment? And that's what we have to keep coming back to. Yeah, that's how, how has your um, personal faith been challenged or, or, or is it, how is it growing in this time, would you say? I imagine like being alone in the sanctuary has some kind of spiritual impact on you. Yes, I think so. Um, you know, I have to give myself that same lesson that I'm giving everybody else about being grateful in the moment when I can. Um, and I think that maybe this instance, there's a, a weird intimacy to Zoom. And that's something that I found is also really interesting. I mean, we're looking into each other's homes or each other's messy offices or, or whatever we might be looking at at a given moment. That's, that's a much different way of relating in a public setting. And I think for me, that's been in some ways a gift to create that kind of intimacy with members of the congregation that I might not otherwise have um, and feel that with them too. It's a little bit sort of breaking down the barriers of the professional versus the personal. And that's both a challenge for me and, and also a gift, I think. Um, I would say that I don't know that my faith has been so challenged by it because I don't know that it's out of the ordinary in terms of life that comes along that's fragile that we can't control that's a, a mode that I exist in all the time and even if I maybe just because my profession puts me in a, in a place of being in contact with death a lot I don't I try not to take anything for granted and I, I'm very aware so I feel like maybe personally I'm not sure that my faith has been challenged in such a way as I see other people struggling with their whole world being rocked by this experience. Um, and I do think that there is a, 
a component of perseverance that I do have to keep reminding myself of, right? We talk about that all the time. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And that's the piece where I can see, um, you know, my own ongoing need to find nurturing with being in touch with other rabbis around the country and um, gaining some, uh, some practical advice and also just some spiritual nourishment from what other people are going through. Yeah, that self, self-care piece. Mm-hmm. You're right about the the Zoom and the intimacy part. I, whenever I visit a, a house of worship, I'm the one in the very back row, <laughs> and now I'm you know I'm my screen is is right there with everybody else equally, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think it's a challenge for for some of those introverts sometimes to be in in these places. But I think it is a yeah. it's interesting, yeah, interesting place to be. With all of this technology and this this, uh, this kind of new way to worship, do you are you learning anything that you might carry forward when you're able to worship again in person? For sure, I think our congregation has been a little slow on the uptake in general with regards to technology. I'm not not I'm not a technophobe, but I'm certainly not somebody who dives into technology or social media with ease. So that's been a new learning for me to realize that I don't have a choice but to put myself out there in a different way um, in terms of videos or live stream or those kinds of things. And, you know, both given the reality that we'll always have people who are who are now are of a vulnerable population and won't be able to go out in public and inter- interact with the rest of the world. And just the case that, that the truth is that that was true before for people who were homebound for various reasons, that I hope we'll continue live streaming our services always. So lots of congregations around the country have done that. And, and the, certainly the capability, now we have the capability to do it and we had to learn on the fly, but now we can do it. So I can't can't imagine that we would stop doing it for any any reason and it'll be great when we have a room full of people and having a regular worship service and that's what we're streaming instead of <laughs> just me on the pulpit um so i'm looking forward to that day but i definitely think we'll want to maintain the ability to to communicate with people who aren't physically present judaism puts so much emphasis on community right? People come to the synagogue and they practice their religion and it's very public and communally engaged. And sometimes the piece that gets lost is people's individual spiritual development. And so my hope and prayer is that the, the, the silver lining or the growth that will take place in this circumstance is that individuals will be able to deepen their own spiritual religious practice and connection so that when we come back together as a community, it will be that much more powerful. So I think if we can find an opportunity in this, that's what I would really encourage members of my community to do anyway, is to do some some of their own spiritual reflection and take ownership out of their own religious practice in a way that's separate from the life of the synagogue, but then be able to bring it back together to our community. That was Tamar Molino talking about the importance of growing our faith in this moment. Thanks for listening to Faves Forward, which you can find on our website, spokanefaves.com, or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to sponsor the show, contact me at tracysimmons at spokanefaves.com. We'll see you next week.